Hey everyone, and welcome back to New Slang. I'm music journalist Thomas Mooney. This is episode 154, where I'm joined by singer-songwriter, guitarist, writer, and music journalist Andrew Leahy. Yeah, I'm not having four or five guests on. It's it's actually just one person. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed talking with Andrew earlier this week, and yeah, as I just like described it, he wears a lot of hats. He's a songwriter, a solo artist, he's a writer and a music journalist and then he's also a guitarist he plays lead guitar for elizabeth cook and during this one we talk about wearing those various hats and the balance and keeping busy between all of those things and how a lot of those lines they blur and how in some respects you can't approach any of them as like a side gig whatever you're doing at that time that has to be the lead role and you have to address it head on and you know, give it all of your attention while also like making sure that none of the other stuff is burning when it's on like a back burner. So for starters, if you haven't checked out Andrew's solo material, be sure to make some room on your to-do list. He released Airwaves, his latest full length back in March of 2019. That is a really great place to start. And then this past year, he was releasing a song every one or two months. But as he mentions during this conversation, he's kind of shifting focus and getting ready to record a new full-length album pretty soon. And of course, if you haven't checked out Elizabeth Cook's latest album, it's called Aftermath. Check that out as well. We talk about working with Elizabeth and being a part of that album and, and working with Butch Walker, who produced the record. And then we also dive into some topics about being a journalist and covering music and how you gradually find your lane. And obviously, the more you do it, the more you learn what your angle is and where you're most comfortable. That's all part of that process of writing. And he mentions this during the interview, and it's been one of my big things that I feel like I've tried to focus on as well. And that is you being a journalist who provides context for those artists. Anyway, a really great conversation, and I think you're all going to enjoy it and maybe learn some things as well. But before we totally get started, yes, I'm going to mention that the Neon Eon has officially launched. That's this new 90s country-focused podcast that I kicked off last week. That first episode, it's with Clay Walker, and then the one that came out yesterday was with Pam Tillis. I've been pleasantly surprised with the rapid growth of the podcast and we were actually hovering around 50 in the itunes music podcast rankings earlier this week seriously not too bad for a podcast that's only been out for like i said about a week that one it will come out every wednesday it'll mainly be interviews with artists and songwriters of the 90s country era so if that's something that you're interested in please go over and subscribe i'll throw a link into the show notes again that is the neon eon Today's presenting partner is our pals over at Desert Door Texas Soto. If you're asking yourself what exactly Desert Door or a Soto is, well, it's a premium, high-quality spirit that is similar to a tequila or a mezcal, but in my estimation, it's more refined, smooth, and fragrant. It has a distinct and intriguing palate that picks up on hints of vanilla and citrus while maintaining a healthy earthiness that is quite enjoyable. One of my favorite features about Desert Door is just how versatile it really is. If you want to feel fancy and a little highbrow, it's perfect for a variety of cocktails that call for lime wedges and coarse salt, 
chopped ginger, agave nectar, sprigs of thyme and sticks of cinnamon. If you're down to muddle some fresh fruit, all that kind of stuff, it's perfect. It's great for experimentation and fine tuning all of your mixologist skills. And then also, if you're a little bit more down home and casual, you got that denim jacket on. It's just perfect for those short and sweet, simple go-to favorites that hit the mark every time. I'm talking about ranch waters and Moscow mules and Palomas and and Mexican Coca-Cola with Desert Door. What I love so much about Desert Door is just how genuine and authentically West Texan they are as well. They go out and harvest soto plants out in the wild and are aware and knowledgeable conservationists at heart. So next time you're at your neighborhood liquor store, get yourself a bottle of Desert Door. I'll throw a link into the show notes for more information. All right, let's go ahead and jump into this one right here with Andrew. Here is Andrew Leahy. It's one of those things where I, I think that um, having something to look forward to has been important for people, sure. even though it is one of those things where nothing was going to switch overnight. And, um, you know, that's something that I think people should have realized, but also at the same time, like having a little bit of optimism about reaching towards a goal is necessary to you at the same time. Sure. Well, like, or viewing a year like 2020 as like an episodic thing that you just have to get past, even though everything that like made, you know, 2020, 2020 clearly isn't like a thing with like a timestamp on it. It's going to continue. But yeah, I understood why everybody had optimism. And, um, you know, I do think 2021 will be better. It just, it just hasn't gotten there yet. Yeah. Um, how has 2020 been for you? How is the last, you know, almost a year now, uh, 12 months been for you as far as, you know, being a songwriter, an artist, and then obviously also doing some of this stuff right here, being the, the writer on the other side. Sure. It, um, you know, I mean, clearly 2020 has been like terrible for everybody, but at least in terms of my work, it hasn't been, you know, completely catastrophic. I mean, you know, with my band, Andrew Leahy and the Homestead, you know, like uh, we've been playing live streams, like a lot of people have, but, um, you know, like we were able to kind of keep at it. Uh, we have one tomorrow. It'll be our 38th yeah, uh, weekly live stream. And, um, you know, it clearly isn't as cool to play into your iPhone as it is like to go on the road and play in an actual, you know, club or what have you. But, you know, at least it's a thing that kind of connects us to like other people who like our music or like the kind of music like that we like. Um, and so it feels more like a community, even though I have just like been inside my house in Nashville for like, like nine and a half months now and I'm going crazy. Um, you know, but it is a bummer on the other end of what I do, which is, you know, playing guitar with other artists, you know, like, uh, my main, um, you know, kind of gig in that world is with Elizabeth Cook and we made an album with her called Aftermath, which I was a huge fan of. And we were all prepped to, um, you know, you, uh, you know, kind of go like hit the ground running and, and play a ton of shows and really tour on a level like that I have never toured on. Um, and so it was hard to watch like that, you know, plan, you know, kind of get turned around like it did for a lot of people, but like the album came out and it continues like to compel people. It's just, um, you know, it wasn't like the experience that I was planning on in 2020, but again, who was planning on 2020 becoming, you know, what it became. Yeah, that um, 
I want to touch on the, the live stream thing because first, because, sure. you know, early on, I think everyone was live streaming as much as possible because it was kind of like the wild west. No one necessarily uh, knew what to do. And it was like, Oh, well there's like a thousand live streams that first like <laughs> yeah. couple of weeks. And, you know, I'll, I'll say like, it was overwhelming, like seeing just like the, you know, an Instagram pop up uh, every five minutes. It felt like um, you just said, you know, this is going to be like your 38th one. That means like you've actually um, stuck it out in a lot of ways where a lot of people realized, ah, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe this is just not what I can do. How is, how has that changed for you as far as like honing in on what would work and what doesn't work? And then, you know, just kind of like realizing that, you know, some of your fan base is, is able to go and really watch and, and that does translate for them. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I'm just used to a person or like, I'm used to, to being a person who is always, always busy, you know, like on any given year, um, you know, I'm playing like a hundred plus gigs with my band. I'm playing about that with Elizabeth cook. I also work as a music journalist and so if I don't have a constant whirl of activity or a constant, um, you know, a constant like schedule of like things I have to prepare for, you know, my brain will like, eat itself. So I think, you know, partially I'm doing these live streams, like just because it keeps me on an even keel, it kind of keeps me moving forward as opposed to, um, I don't know what would happen if I didn't play, um, you know, but yeah, like you said, you know, like uh, tomorrow is our 38th one. And if we just played, you know, if we just played like our album Airwaves, like the exact same way every time, I feel like we wouldn't have people coming back and we wouldn't be able to keep doing this. But it's been it's been cool. You know, I've been playing a lot more piano lately. I'll play a song on piano. We'll like, you know, completely change an arrangement. You know, we'll turn a song into some like really harmony heavy, almost kind of like a Beach Boys like arrangement of a song. Um, we've played a ton of covers. We played over 300 covers. Um, and that isn't like an overestimate. It's like actually over 300 covers. Um, you know, it's like anything that we think, you know, is within our orbit as like a heartland rock band or, you know, like a pop rock band an Americana band, whatever you want to call us. Um, you know, because we kind of assume that if, if a person likes our music, like they might also like Tom Petty or they might also like Bruce Springsteen, or they might also want to go back and um, when you're in Lubbock, we played a lot of like Buddy Holly um, and it's been cool. It's kind of like expanded our palette and it's let us kind of get like a firmer grasp on what our audience likes and how our audience views us. It's also just made us better musicians. And so whenever all of this ends and life kind of goes back to normal, I feel like we'll be primed uh, to do it. And we won't be in a position where it's like, wait, how do I play guitar again? I haven't played since 2019. Yeah. There's this weird thing where I was, I've been wondering how like that balance of, of um, I guess like staying in, in tune, like knowing how to play, not necessarily like, it's not like a, you have to relearn how to play or anything like that, but you know um, I don't think anyone loves to, to practice anything, you know what I mean? Especially if yeah. you're like by yourself and like, if you were just stuck at home and you're just kind of like practicing, if you will. And, um, and the same thing goes like vocally. I think like, you know, a lot of, I'm wondering if like people are going to not necessarily lose their voices, but like, you know, it's, it's a, 
it's a muscle as well, you know, and you have to kind of keep that stretched out, uh, your vocals and, you know, going eight months without playing, especially in front of like a live audience. I wonder how, you know, how people have a been making sure that like they they're exercising those muscles, but then also kind of expanding those palates. Cause it's interesting. Like the 300 cover thing right now is yeah. I think like that in a lot of ways probably reminds you of like when you first picked up guitar in the first place, because you know, you're just at that point, you are just learning every Led Zeppelin and Tom Petty cover you can. Sure. Well, and it makes you a better player. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't play, you know, like a lead guitar worth a damn until honestly a couple of years ago when I began getting hired, like uh, to play in the house band of this annual Tom Petty tribute show in Nashville. And I kind of like bluffed my way into it. And I think like people thought, okay, well, like he plays a Les Paul and an AC 30 and he has long hair. So like, of course he can play lead guitar, but I could only, I could only kind of play it, but yeah, you play other people's material, you know, like it just makes you better. And also getting to what you hit on earlier, I feel like the best practice is a gig because, you know, you have to get yourself up to a point where you're going to be able to pull it up. Otherwise, you're going to make a fool out of yourself. And so, you know, if I was at home in my house in Nashville all year long, just woodshedding on the guitar, I don't think I would make the kind of progress as I have, given that I'm learning like 300 songs and learning chord patterns, which aren't my own, or learning you know, guitar leads that like require me to, you know, go beyond what I would play with my own instincts and play whatever, you know, like the artist, you know, himself or herself played. Um, and you also mentioned like vocally, I've been warming up every day. Um, I'm, uh, you know, trying not to, uh, like, uh, you know, smoke as much pot. And um, <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel pretty strong, like vocally. So again, like it's a really, really weird year or pair of years now, but you know, like we've been able to, you know, like remain active and, um, and I feel like good stuff is coming out of it, but I am looking forward to getting back on the road. Like I'm worried about my van. It's like my van has like been in my driveway for a year now and I'm worried it isn't going to work. Like it hardly works even when we're using it all the time. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> I've not really thought about the, all the vans that are like stuck in a parking lot spots and just haven't been if you, if you have a van out there and you haven't moved it in a while, you need to go start that engine and go and <laughs> drive it around. Yeah, the- like drive it around the block. Yeah, <laughs> because I feel like critters are going to get up there and like chew through your wires. And uh, yeah, I mean, like, I remember when I got a van, my friend said like, welcome like uh, to the world of having a van. It's like the worst thing ever. And that kind of is true just because, you know, like it never works. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been great to not have to worry about it all year long. But, you know, I'm worrying about it even so because... It hasn't been used. I hope it still works. Yeah. This episode of New Slang is brought to you by Hot Damn Coffee. Rolling in from the hills of eastern Tennessee is Hot Damn Coffee. It's a down-home company that roasts single-origin, high-quality coffees from around the world. Their year-round roasts come from certified farms in Ethiopia, Tanzania, and Nicaragua. Check out the Hot Damn website over at hotdam.coffee. There you can find more info on their operation and roasting process and some helpful tips on how to brew the best cup of coffee. They've certainly made my mornings that much better. And to be perfectly honest, I enjoy a nice cup of coffee at all hours of the day. Some of my favorites have been the Tanzanian Peaberry in medium roast, and the medium roast of Nicaraguan with the honey process. While there, 
check out their Hot Damn Coffee Club, which is a monthly subscription service. With the holiday season coming upon us, it's just really kind of the perfect gift. I don't care how difficult or easy a person is to shop for, they'll always be good with items like high quality coffee. And of course, right now, if you throw in the promo code SLANG in all caps, that's S-L-A-N-G, you'll get 20% off your order. And if you're signing up for the Coffee Club subscription service, they'll take 20% off that first month and also throw in a bonus 8-ounce bag of their Nicaraguan coffee. Again, that's SLANG in all caps. Head over to hotdam.coffee and sign up today. All right, let's get back to the episode. I guess like one of those things that I've met, I've talked with people about this year that um, has all kind of came up is, I guess like this idea that, oh, you have all this time off. Oh, it's going to be great in the the practical sense of writing. And, oh, you know, I think a lot of fans out there just thought, oh, there's going to be all these records written this year. And of course, I don't think it necessarily works that way as far as you just got this huge amount of time and you just write this record. And what I've realized and noticed that a lot of people are doing has been a lot of other creative things. And that is that I think it's connected to what you're talking about as far as like learning other people's songs or, you know, even to like gardening and stuff like that. Has there been any other creative outlets that you've put all your energy into? Well, my house is pretty spick and span right now. Um, <laughs> and my plants are all properly watered in a way that like they never are. Um, you know, but, like I'm lucky because I have another gig as a music journalist. And I kind of assumed like that gig would would like uh, take a hard hit given that, you know, like, you know, well, like not as many albums are being, you know, like put out and like not as many people you know, are like hiring me to, you know, come up with their new bio or whatnot. But I've actually been really, really busy, like uh, to an extent where it's hard to envision what 2020 would have been like if it had unfolded as it usually does, which is like me on the road, but also working like another, you know, like full-time job in the van with my laptop. Um, So I've been able to, um, yeah, to, you know, like let my journalism gig flourish, even though it isn't, you know, it's not, it's not like my main gig. It's kind of my equivalent of waiting tables, but, um, you know, but it's like, I've been able to exist still. So I've been able to flex that muscle. Yeah. Well, how, what, I don't, I can't imagine riding in a van or even just like in any kind of space other than like this little, you know, room that I have here as my quote unquote office. Uh, I, it, to me is like, that's, um, I guess I'm a creature of habit, especially in as far as this goes. Is that one of those things you just have to like press on through, even though there can be other things that kind of just throw you off? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I was working on, on a bio for like a British band, you know, like uh, this morning and I'm way overdue with it. I mean, you know, when I'm writing you know, like an article, kind of like when I'm writing a song, I feel like I spend like 80% of my time just like looking at the screen or like the paper trying to like will the words and like nothing happens. And then like the last 20% is when I actually, you know, create the thing. Um, And it hasn't gotten any easier, but, you know, I feel like as a journalist, as a music journalist, given that I also play music, I think I can kind of get on the inside of the album or the song or whatever it is I'm writing about. Um, 
and kind of, you know, like, yeah, just like put into words how that piece of music sounds. And again, it's, um, you know, it gets a passion of mine. It's, you know, it isn't my main priority, but um, it's been a lot of fun to like be a cheerleader, like for bands who, who need it. You know, I'm not, I'm not really into like the school of journalism, um, you know, where it's kind of like you cross your arms and you're like, impress me with your song. You know, like I enjoy like writing about what I like and telling people why I think it's compelling. Yeah. That, um, I think like we've all kind of had like a little bit of that snobbery, especially when you're like 18, you think you know everything about music and it's like, oh, people want to come and listen to me, tell them what to listen to. And then like at some yeah. point you realize like that is exhausting as far as like telling them like their band sucks, like your favorite band, not to like, uh, quote Tyler Mahan co right there with the, your favorite band sucks, but sucks, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it is very much a, like, I finally like a gatekeeping aspect of that as just being exhausting. And, you know, I, I, I get like Tyler's whole thing with that podcast and everything. I mean, I get the joke and kind of the irony of it and all, but I think that like, for me, I can't, um, I hate doing that. Like I, I do it plenty often as far as like, just, you know, at home, like listening to something, you, I think everyone does, but yeah. in conversation. If, yeah. Sure. If, if I'm writing about something or someone, I want it to be about like the stuff I like. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like the internet and you know, like, especially in the 2020s has more than enough people who are willing and able to tell you why I think sucks, you know? Um, and also, you know, you mentioned like the gatekeeper thing, yeah, I think that traditionally music journalists were the gatekeepers and they could explain what was worth listening to, what was worth going to a store and buying and hearing. But now, I mean, I don't have much more ability like to hear something as a music journalist than like another person would be. I mean, I can hear it earlier often, but, you know, like anybody can hear pretty much any song at any time. And so your job becomes less... Um, you know, is this piece of, you know, of music good or not? And it's more, you know, kind of given like the context of like how it was created, why it was created, who was involved. Um, and that just kind of gives a wider story. And if a person isn't into that piece of music, then like they don't have to read it. But if they are into it, then they can get the wider story. Um, you know, but also, you know, like living in Nashville, I often have to write about, you know, country pop, you know, music that like really isn't my bag. And in those instances, I'm really glad that I have a pen name, which I unfortunately can't share on the record, but I can tell you afterwards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, the, the context thing, that's kind of what I feel um, I've gotten further into is like your job as a journalist is to provide context for this artist and where these songs fall in line for that artist. And then where that artist falls in line in this like grander, bigger music scene. And then where that, music scene falls in line in like American culture, if you want to go that far. But yeah. I think like, that's what, what we're supposed to do is, is provide that context as, especially as you say with like, there's just, you know, you're just hit with, you know, a million pounds of music, like every day, Spotify, iTunes, you name it, right. There's just so much out there and it is so hard to listen to everything. So just listen yeah, yeah. to like what you want. Do you feel like that overwhelming sensation, especially of like your 
email inbox? <laughs> oh, my email inbox is a mess, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm generally around like 2000 unread emails, which just kind of gives me a heart attack every time I see it. I've learned to just roll with it. But um, yeah, I mean, I probably get 300 emails a day from publicists who are like, listen, like to this and this and this, even though I'm not, I'm not really, you know, like that kind of journalist. Like if I'm going to write for a publication, um, it only happens when a person says, hey, here's a thing to write about, go and write about it. Um, and honestly, most of my work currently is doing like uh, promotional stuff, like press releases or bios. Um, yeah. And, you know, whenever anybody asks me, you know, like you've got your hand on like the pulse of, of modern music, what are you listening to? Like, I never have a good answer. It's always just like, I'm playing Tom Petty. I'm playing Bruce Springsteen. I like the new live war on drugs album. Like, you know, I don't know what's hip, you know, like there was a time where I was really concerned with, um, you know, with, you know, with like maintaining, um, an up-to-date, um, knowledge of everything new, but I just, I don't have the time anymore to do that. Yeah. Hold on one second. Like I'm out of the standing desk and my cat just jumped up here and like, that's against the rules and she's got it. Not leaving here. Yeah. I gave, I gave my cats lunch prior to this. Cause I knew like they would, they would try to do the same thing. <laughs> she's never usually like this, but she just like jumped up here and I'm like, come on really right now of all plot times. Well, they're getting, well, it's like they're getting, you know, used to having us home all the time. It's so, like their expectations <laughs> change. It's yeah. hard. It's hard like to work. Cause you know, it's like my cat is you know, like on my lap and my laptop kind of constantly now. Yeah. Cats are awesome. Good yeah. cats. <laughs> um, yeah, like the, the trying to always stay, like w- figure out what is relevant. That is also just like, you know, a losing game as far as just trying to stay within the the know, I guess. So yeah, I do the same thing where I feel, I was talking to a buddy about this earlier about how from like, let's just say that if we're treating this like a nine to five job from nine to five, I'm like listening to, a lot of new music, trying to figure out what's great, who, what's coming up. That's awesome. And all that kind of stuff. And then in the other hours of the day, I am listening to those go-tos. I'm listening to just like your favorites and there's no, I don't know. That's what, not necessarily that you turn your, your brain off or anything like that, but it's like, Oh yeah. You know, I love spring scene. I can just throw that on. And I kind of already know the path that where that's taken me. That makes sense. Yeah, you know when, I mean? when I'm trying to, uh, you know, I try to just like take in as much as I can if I know that it's going to, you know, like influence me or spark ideas or something. So like whether that's like reading an author like that I know I enjoy or listening to an audience or like that to an artist who I know, you know, kind of, you know, catalyzes me to go right, you know, like, you know, I need to, to you know, encourage like that, like a rather like than go and, you know, try to look, like uh, make myself you know enjoy chill wave or like eight bit or some genre that I don't really know anything about because again I mean like there were years especially when I was younger where I was like really adamant about trying to be like the most like knowledgeable and up-to-date music journalist as I possibly could but you know in the past like eight years or so I've been able to kind of you know like uh, change like that balance and you know my music career is my focus and with that I need to just you know, keep myself inspired. So I go to what's inspiring to me. Yeah. There's the, I guess like early on, I was always worried about 
Oh my gosh. How do you stay in touch? And at what point do you like fall out of touch and then you become irrelevant as a quote unquote voice? Because like, you know, 18 to 25 year olds are like, well, that's an old guy now, you know? Um, And you just, I don't know. You have to just like let that pressure go. I was looking on like the pitchfork top records of this year and I was like, Oh man, I don't know. Like, but you know, 15 to 20 of these bands and I've not listened to like any of these records except for, you know, a handful of them. And that's one of those things where it's like, you know, even five years ago, I would have known almost all of them and like had, had them somewhere, you know? Um, Cause I like, yeah. I, I don't, do you, do you feel this as a, as a journalist, are you a hoarder of music? Do you like hoard every, that's sent to you that kind of thing i used to well like in the mail well even if if it's just an email like just those downloads the um even if you're like buying it like you know going to a record store and buying vinyl and stuff like is do you have like that hoarder mentality when it comes to music yeah and my wife is trying to work against that and i totally understand that because we have like you know, like an 1100 square foot place here in nashville we don't really have room but like behind me i've got all my albums here um and that is like that's like a slimmed down like abbreviated you know like post multiple trips to like the record store to, to like a resell you know like my stuff like a version of my record collection yeah i think when i was you know younger i felt i felt more of a need to um you know like when i was you know getting into power pop i would go back and you know get albums by like like strawberry alarm clock and all these groups. So I knew were like players in that scene early on, but like, it wasn't even like a record that I was compelled by. It was a record that I felt like I was supposed to have. Um, and I've kind of gotten out of that. Um, you know, but like, I do enjoy the idea of like a record as an actual product. as like a tangible piece of music that you have and that you put on a shelf and it like takes up space. Um, you know, but I don't feel like the compulsion to buy everything like I used to. I mean, like I, like the last uh, Springsteen album I actually bought was, um, was like magic or something. But I mean, I did get the most recent Tom Petty Wildflowers box set. So who am I to talk? I guess I'm a half hoarder now. <laughs> this episode of New Slang is brought to you by the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. Blue Light has undoubtedly been my home away from home over the years and has played such a vital role, not only for my development as a journalist, but obviously it's been one of the foundational pieces for a lot of your favorite songwriters and bands who have made it out of the Lubbock area over the years. And of course, as a music venue, they've played such a pivotal role for a lot of your favorite bands just in general. One of my favorite parts about Blue Light is just how versatile the place can truly be. I've seen it crowded and rowdy on a Saturday night for a rock and roll band, And I've seen it dead still on a Wednesday when a legendary singer-songwriter rolls through town. What you should do is go over to bluelightlubbock.com and check out all the new merch they've added. Hats, t-shirts, both short and long sleeve. They also have hoodies and koozies and just added some sweatshirts that are very much an homage to the college sweatshirt that John Belushi wore in Animal House. And then of course, maybe the crown jewel of their new merch is the Varsity Club style jacket in blue satin. I got one the other day. And yeah, it's just one of my favorite things I own now. And yeah, I don't know. I just love it. Anyway, you can check out all of their new merch over at bluelightlubbock.com. 
As always, I'll throw a link into the show notes for easy access. Okay, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I feel like I'm always just a a hoarder of, of music. And that is like trying to get the entire discography, even though like... For example, like with Dylan, I have almost all of the Dylan on vinyl, except I have a couple of new ones, but um, that's just something where I'm like, I have to have them all. And, you know, I'm sure you're a Dylan guy as far as knowing that, like, you know, a lot of those 80s records, there's a couple of songs on those records, but they're not like the, you know, the meat of his catalog. That's true. Yeah. But like, I also, you know, as a musician who like to a large extent, I need people to buy my stuff. Like it really helps on the road. Um, I kind of have to push against, you know, my desire just to like minimalize everything and like streamline my life and like just rely on an aux cable and Spotify for my music. And now, you know, also just like an aux cable isn't going to make, you know, a lot of music sound good. I mean, like it makes eighties music sound good if it's like very keyboard driven and very like, like synthesized. But if you need that wide sound wave with like real instruments, um, you're doing yourself a disservice if you rely exclusively on like a DSP, you need the actual album. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I guess, I guess I'm probably, I'm probably halfway. I'm like half hoarder and half whatever, whatever the opposite would be. Yeah. I think that, you need a little bit of everything. I think that like you need some, the CD still sounds really great in a car. Uh, If you have, if you have a CD player in the car, I I know a lot of vehicles don't have that anymore. Um, Which is so sad because it's like the best place like to play a CD. And that's like the best place I think to play music at all. It's honestly, it's kind of what like drives, you know, like my entire band. It's like to make, you know, car driving music. It's because we spend so much time in the car on a non 2020 year. Um, yeah. I love the sound of a compact disc and a car stereo. It's classic. Yeah. I, I still actually, if I could get like a, a 10 CD changer in a oh, vehicle, yeah. you just kind of have like, that's just the, the right amount of space as far as like, you know, you, you got to pick out them 10 records that you're going to put in those 10 CDs and it, you give yourself some, um, some variety, but then also, you know, you're not just like scrolling through every album, not knowing what to play. Like well, do you remember when that happened in the trunk when you would like, yeah, you would like load your CDs like in the trunk? That's hilarious. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I drive a Mazda. Um, I mean, it isn't, it isn't too new. It's a couple years old. Um, and I think it has a six CD changer in it, which is awesome. But I don't even think I realized like that was a rarity until recently when I would, you know, like try to give an album of mine, like to a person, like they were like, I don't have any way to play it. I say, we well, can play it in your car. And they say, I, I can't. And I'm like, what? Come on automotive industry. Yeah. The, I, it's what I find really, really strange. Maybe you find this strange too. When it comes to getting music is the vinyl record obviously has come back and that is a great medium for for music for listening you know you have that space and you can um i guess like what i mean by space is as far as like on the vinyl record there's plenty of like sounds and that can come through a record yeah what i find strange is that like 
we're going with nostalgia just for nostalgic sake when it comes to stuff like cassettes, because like that isn't necessarily like ever thought of as a, a good format. You know what I mean? That's like true. it doesn't sound nearly as good as like the record or the CD. So I don't know. That's yeah. Like that's weird for me too. I think it's just kind of, you know, cool kids like trying to be cool like and being cool, but it's just, um, yeah, it's kind of like a waste of plastic. Right. Um, yeah. and I love cassette tapes. Like that's what I grew up listening to. I have a couple of my childhood cassettes like right behind me here. Um, you know, but I keep them like not to play them. I keep them just to like, look at them and remember how they, you know, captivated me when I was like four years old or something. Um, yeah, but I can't, I can't really predict. I don't, I don't foresee my band putting out any cassettes in the future. Yeah. <laughs> because sorry to yeah. any cassette you know, like enthusiasts out there. I don't think, I don't think we'll be doing that. Yeah. This is one of those weird things that I remember too, about having cassettes as a kid is I guess I never had like a proper like boom box type of cassette player until like I had one with a CD player. So it really, mm. you know, it didn't really matter, but I remember having, do you remember the two XL, like the little robot that was like, supposed to be for like educational purposes that you would put like a, I guess like a specific cassette player or cassette for them for these two XLs. You know what I'm talking about or no? I don't think so. Okay. Was so like it was like a robot and with the, with the cassette, like talk for it or something. Yeah. Like you, it had like, um, it, it looked like a little robot basically. And like the middle of it, you put a cassette in and it was kind of like this trivia game thing where there was like buttons on the bottom and then like it would, kind of like ask you questions and you would hit a b c or whatever or they would give you options and it was like just kind of more educational purposes but you could also just play cassettes on it so like that was like my entire point of like thinking like oh that was like really like my very first boom box was this uh little i don't even know where that is i'm trying to think of like it was just sold like at a garage sale or something but i don't know i love it yeah, well, like mine was like a two deck, you know, like a boombox. You could like overdub one to the other. You could also go to like the radio and record off the radio. And so I would kind of like, you know, create my own like, you know, my own mixtapes, my own radio shows using that function. Um, I spent years, I mean, like years and years with that. And then I remember my first like album I bought in a CD was was Weezer's Blue album. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's uh how do you how do you rank the Weezer albums? As far as like mm. you don't have to rank them all, but like your like your top two or three. What's like I mean, I think um I think blue is great. Um you know, look I know like the real cool answer is Pinkerton, <laughs> and I know the not cool answer is like the green album, but I like that one as well. I feel like all three of the first three are great with blue like uh, being my number one. Um, you know, but I'm not as, I'm not as Weezer crazy as I think a lot of people would assume I am given, you know, my love for like power pop and just like really, really hooky pop rock songs. I love what they do though. And, um, I remember catching them at Bonnaroo a couple years back and it was amazing. Like, um, Rivers Cuomo was a maniac in a way that I can enjoy and empathize with and yeah, great band. Yeah. They... I don't know. Like they, I feel like it, uh, their records are either incredible or they're just like duds. And 
I think like what's strange is like Pinkerton when it was released, like everyone hated it. And yeah. like as far as critics go, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm more team blue um, on, yeah. on the front, but then like, I've not listened to anything lately at all. Like, I think like the last record I bought was, well, I know the last record I bought was the red one, the red album, but yeah. I was kind of like, eh, after I look, after I got it, but um, was that one with the song like pork and beans or yeah, something? there's like pork and beans on there and stuff like that. That's a hard title um, for a song. That's a weird, it's a weird thing to name a song pork and beans. Yeah. But at the blue album, I mean, growing up, that was like the album that, you know, like me and my young friends, I mean, I don't know, like how old were we like 10 or something, you know, and we would play guitar and we would learn how to play like the sweater song or something. Um, it was kind of like one of like those gateway albums that, you know, like not only as a music fan, but as a musician. Um, and I, that's why I have a close bond with it, I think. Yeah, I think it still sounds amazing, too. It's like just one of those perfect records. I think like what's strange about, I guess, like Weezer is, is maybe like their, their truest form was always going to be like, or their truest best form was would be as that indie rock band. And then like, being a a mainstream band was just kind of like their dreams, but that wasn't like the best format for them. I don't know. I feel like I'm, I don't know. No, I hear you. Like, well, like, I remember reading a great article, um, kind of might've been in Rolling Stone, but they were talking about like the early days when like Rivers was in what, like a hair metal band or something. And somebody in one of his earlier bands was like trying to illustrate how weird he was. And the person said, you know, I remember walking with rivers like down sunset Boulevard and he had a fanny pack on. And at one point he just like opened it up and pulled out a slice of pizza and took a bite and put it like back in the fanny pack and closed it up and kept walking. And I feel like that is just like the perfect encapsulation of rivers Cuomo, just eating pizza out of a fanny pack. Yeah, <laughs> that is, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I wonder what kind of it was. Like, was it just pepperoni or like Supreme or? I mean, hopefully it was cold. <laughs> so it wasn't smearing everywhere on the inside. Yeah. I'm thinking like probably like a thin crust. That would work. So, like a deep dish wouldn't even have room in there. Yeah. <laughs> this episode of New Slang is brought to you by New Slang. So obviously you're listening to New Slang right now. That probably means that you enjoy it or at least you enjoy some of the conversations with the artists that are on here. Well, you may be interested in helping support New Slang a little bit more by doing one of a handful of things. One, stop by our New Slang merch store and order some merch. Right now, there's t-shirts, koozies, buttons, stickers, magnets, and a handful of keychains and the like. Two, if you like New Slang just a little bit more, you can join the New Slang Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, it's like a subscription service. Since New Slang is free, it's a great way to get some extra bonuses and additional content. For example, if you subscribe to the Postcard Pal tier for five bucks a month, you'll get ad-free episodes, updates on upcoming guests, and monthly New Slang postcards. The postcards are essentially little mini show posters that I started designing to highlight that month's roster of guests. Like right now, we just ended the month of November, so November's show poster is a denim jacket where all the episode guests are individual buttons pinned to the jacket. Right now, if you sign up for the Patreon, I'll go ahead and make sure you get all the back prints 
Again, signing up for the New Slang Patreon or purchasing something from the New Slang merch store are great ways to help support New Slang. Another easy, simple way is to give us a five-star review over on iTunes and share New Slang with all your friends and family who you think may enjoy New Slang. Links to both the Patreon and the merch store and all of our social media stuff is in the show notes. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, anyways, I don't know. That's uh, What I was wanting to ask you about is actually, you know, you mentioned... And maybe you listened to this podcast, the one I did with Sadler Vaden and uh, Andrew Nelson of uh, Great Peacock about the Heartland, Heartland Rock. Rock. Stuff. Yeah, you know, one of my big points was that maybe like the the next quote unquote like Heartland Rock band was the War on Drugs. You mentioned them a minute ago. I yeah. feel like you can see a lot of those the things that they're doing, especially with the synth and. Um, where they're pulling from a lot of the 80s stuff and then like kind of doing their own thing as well has really just entered Americana. You see a lot of that going on. And I was wanting to see like what your opinions on were on, on all of that. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with what you said. It's weird to play the kind of music that we play because um, you know, like earlier albums of mine, I think were kind of squarely aimed at the Americana world, but like, you know, especially our last one, Airwaves, um, it was really inspired by like the earliest music I heard on the radio as a kid, which would have been like late 80s, you know, pop rock. And it would have been like Tom Petty and, you know, even Brian Adams or like Don Henley, just these like pop rock songs with kind of a gauzy, like reverb heavy, ethereal background to it. Um, and that's, you know, like probably partially why I love War on Drugs so much. It feels you know, when I listen to them, I get the feeling like that I get when I was like five years old and like a weird kid who like needed a world that was like different than like my school world where I wasn't happy. And I could like disappear into this really like atmospheric music that I heard on the radio. But I think Americana in general is, you know, kind of a catch all for like a ton of, you know, of genres. Like you go to like Americana Fest here and you've got you have like the bands who wear like the hats and then you have like the bands who like, I would, you know, qualify as like a rock and roll band, but like not a hard rock band. I feel like rock and roll in the modern age has kind of like moved, you know, more toward like a distorted modern rock sound. Um, you know, and if it, yeah, like if a person like Tom Petty was around, you know, currently, and I wish he was, if, if he was making like a Wildflowers in 2021, it would absolutely be qualified as an Americana album. Um, you know, so part of me is like, is like resentful that like, I don't play kind of music that has a more um, categorized home or community or something. But the other part of me is like, just happy that I can play any kind of event. Um, and I do love the fact that other people in Nashville, especially, are playing that kind of music. I mean, like I co-wrote the title track of Airwaves with Andrew Nelson of Great Peacock, um, you know, because we just, you know, like I get what like he does and he gets what I do. We're drawn from that same well. Yeah. I think that like, I don't know, like I've been thinking about that whole um, Heartland Rock conversation since then. And I, I don't know, like I, maybe we need to revisit it. Maybe you can jump on too. Where, sure. Cause I think that like, it's, it's it's almost like there's like 
three different versions of Heartland Rock. And that is like the the regional thing as far as like if you're a, you know, a, a band from the Midwest, the John Mellencamp style, or there is yeah, like the, a great example. Yeah. The, um, there is more of the, I guess, like stylized version, which I would consider more of like the Henley stuff. Like you mentioned like the atmospheric as- aspect I think you get a lot of that from him and like um, I guess like some of the, the more I would, I would almost throw in like Bruce Hornsby in, into heartland rock with like mandolin rain. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And then there is like this other thing where it's like the um, I guess some of the heartland rock where, we consider like the Springsteen, Nebraska, or as you, as you mentioned, like um, Petty Wildflowers, which is, is more like, I think if we're going to just call it like a stripped down version of it, of, of sure. I don't know. Um, and then also like I was thinking about is maybe Heartland Rock is this, is you take like a Mellencamp record there's like a folk song on there. There is like a rock and roll song on there. There's a pop anthem record or song on there. There's like a soul influence song on there and et cetera, et cetera. Maybe that's actually what Heartland is, is like when a record is like that, when it's, there's two songs of each, basically. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like maybe Heartland rock in the eighties was what Americana is now in that it was kind of a catch-all, you know, like an umbrella for, yeah, music that was, you know, guitar based, organic based, but, um, you know, but often could have, there was more like atmospheric elements, which like, uh, to me just kind of, you know, evoke like the feeling of driving a long distance, which again, I mean, you know, like during a normal year, I feel like my job is kind of, you know, I'm a driver, you know, like we play like a hundred gigs with my band. We play, you know, like an equal amount with, a, uh, with Elizabeth cook. And I'm just constantly in the car. And there's a certain kind of music that I want to hear when I'm like staring down the beginning of an eight hour drive. And it generally is like that kind of atmospheric music. I'm not sure why I feel like it just, it's kind of like, it's a soundtrack to the like open expanse out the, out the window of the van or something. Yeah. It's, it's, I think like you have to, um, if you're, if you're driving by like cornfields and cotton rows and stuff like that, like you have to get a little bit of that earthiness of the, the great openness of, of America, right? It's the, um, these small towns, these small town people. And like, I don't know, like, yeah, there's something about that, about like the, these like deep, rich blue skies and, I don't know, like they just become a little bit deeper blue when you have like Mellencamp or Tom Petty on or insert name here, you know. I agree, man. It continues It continues uh, to be my go-to. And like I said, I'm just glad that there's any kind of, you know, community around it, even though, you know, uh, groups like Great Peacock and myself kind of get lumped into like any number of genres, which I don't think are as proper a home for us, but that's okay. I'm a music journalist too. So I understand the need to categorize. I'm sure like most bands like who I categorize aren't 100% happy with whatever I say too. Yeah. Well, that's what I was trying to tell them too about, I guess I did tell them, but 
I said, like, I, I also understand why we do try and categorize bands because it's like in, in the perfect world, whenever someone asks you, what kind of music do you play? You would have like an hour long conversation with them and be like, this is what kind of music. And like, this is from here and this is from here and yada, yada, yada. But you usually only have like a, a, a one, one sentence to give them before they start going, oh, well, I don't understand what you're talking about. So like you have to throw out the, just the, the catch all name of like, I'm in a rock and roll band or I play country music or whatever the case is. And sure. um, And now I think also part of like being the journalist is like, you want to create that, um, that, that label. Like you want to be that person who I can't think of what her name was, but the one who like popularized or made outlaw country, a, a genre label. Oh, yeah, I, I think like part of it is like you want to do that too, as a journalist. Sure. When it is, yeah, it's weird. It's weird, like for me as a musician and a music journalist, because I'm always kind of aware of what like the narrative is or could be, and you know, like throughout my career, you know, I kind of constantly get it wrong. Like when I began touring heavily, I thought, okay, well, like my whole, you know, my whole like my whole like story, you know, my whole plot line is you know it's like a blue collar band and we just like tore our asses off and like eventually we're going to get our big break and then when i got sick and had that whole brain tumor thing i thought okay my whole narrative is you know you know like a road warrior gets sick he almost like dies he bounces back he makes music about how good it is like to be alive and then you know a couple years later i was on the road again and it was just like, okay, like that isn't my narrative either. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's weird to be aware of that. Um, I don't really know what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I, I get it too. I mean, like that's the narrative thing is, is really interesting because it feels like, and it goes back to, and I think it goes to the whole thing where like there's just so much music out there that sometimes like you have to do, uh, you feel the pressure of leaning into a, a certain narrative to to catch the eyes, right? Um, you mentioned those like 300 emails daily, right? Whatever's yeah. in the, the title is like, is there something that's going to pop out that makes you click on it? The, yeah, well, of- and I write a lot of emails like that as a music journalist too. So yeah, I understand that. And like every time I make an album, I have to think, okay, well, how am I going to explain this like to my publicist? You know, you know, how can I like boil it all down? It's like, I feel like, you know, I'm jealous of those kind of, you know, crazy genius musicians among us who get to just, you know, create music. And then like everyone else, you know, on their, you know, kind of creative team or, you know, like a business team can help them put it all together and frame it. But as like an independent artist, I don't have that luxury. So I have to create like the music, but also come up with like the narrative and like whatever's going to go in that email you mentioned. Um, yeah. It's kind of like, it's kind of like you have to wear, you have to wear two hats at once. Yeah. Well, also it's, it's one of those things where at the end of the, at the end of the day, like it is a story and stories have narrative. <laughs> like, so, you know, like that's, you're not going to read anything if it doesn't have like a point to, to reading and like, you can't, I can't, I don't know. Maybe you can, maybe that is the next narrative of like, yeah, I'm just like a boring music guy. Uh, I'm in a band. We're the most boring band in the world. And like, 
that's why you should listen to us. I don't know. Um, I mean, I feel like a lot of groups have that narrative, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to ask though, too, was, you know, you've been releasing some new music yourself um, in the form of, you know, a song here, a song there. And I guess like this past year, what have you released? Like five, six songs? We did five. Yeah. And we recorded like a couple more and like our plan was to put them all out. Um, you know, kind of like track by track, you know, like one every couple months. And then like at the end of putting out an album's worth of material, we would kind of, you know, compile it all together and say like, here's our album. And then 2020 became 2020. And so we put out about half of our material. And now I think, I think we're going to probably, um, you know, we'll keep that up like to an extent, but what I, you know, I heard from like our audience was like, we want an album. We don't want a collection of individual songs. And I enjoyed that because I mean, I prefer albums as well. I was just trying to kind of like spoon feed an album to people, um, you know, because it's like in a modern age, like a person will, what will like, you know, you can like binge watch, you know, Queen's Gambit over like the course of like three days and like never leave your couch and just constantly watch you know, like a Netflix, but if you give a person an album, like they're like, Oh, I'm not sure when I'll have time to listen to that. <laughs> and so I was trying to almost kind of like sneakily get them to like, listen, like to a complete album, one song at a time. But again, I was like, I told that like a desire and a demand was there like for a full album. So I think that's what we're going to do in 2021. Yeah. Well, see, that's, that's refreshing to hear a on the, the album front, but also like that you're not just so, no, this is what I'm fucking doing guys. And like, this is how you're going to take it. I thought it was yeah. maybe like something more to do with 2020 as far as like releasing a song every two months or something like that. And then at the end, yeah, you would get the record, but I guess it sounds more like you, you had those plans before. And I, is that in relation to, because Elizabeth's record was going to be so tour heavy. It was. Yeah. I mean, you know, so like, again, like I played, I played guitar for like a number of artists, but like nobody who's like been as active, um, yeah, as Elizabeth. And I was like really proud of, you know, of like uh, the aftermath, which we made together and, you know, we were all set to go, you know, like a new booking agent, all these awesome plans, great tour. Um, and so I knew that I needed to keep up a presence with my own band as well, but, you know, without, without really knowing exactly what her schedule was, I didn't know how to be as busy with, you know, with my band as I normally am. And so I thought, okay, if I put out one song, you know, every month or two, then like that can maintain a presence in the Andrew Leahy and the Homestead world. And meanwhile, I'll be available to go and do whatever Elizabeth wants, wherever we're going to go and ride that ship until it, until it docks. Yeah. I, I like how sometimes um, you're like, you speak out, like you're, like right there, like I just kind of realized in the moment of asking you the question, like, oh, I guess that's probably why he's doing it that way. Nothing to do with 2020, actually, because like he was part of a, a massive record and was going to be on this tour. That's probably the answer. Uh, I do love well, that record uh, by a list. Thanks, man. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like what was, Absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, when you're not the primary artist, you're someone who is in the band. What is it like going in there? And I guess like finding that, that, that place, you know what I mean? As far as like, find that role. Yeah. Like, yeah, the role, I guess. Yeah. 
It's great. I mean, I love, I love getting to play music with other artists where I'm not like the guy in charge completely. I mean, if I had, if like whoever controls our universe was like, Andrew, you have to, you know, choose one musical project and like, that's all you can do. I would of course, you know, choose my own music, but I feel like I, you know, I am a better front man in my band because I'm also her right-hand man in her band. So it's kind of like you learn how to invest your musicians in your band when you are like invested in like another person's band and you learn, you know, you learn what the role even is of a right-hand man where you can play it, you know, yourself with another artist. I remember prior to him passing away, um, Neil Casal was, you know, like uh, talking to me about it, you know, because, you know, or he, or he's a great, or like a, was a great artist in his own right. And he also played with, you know, Chris Robinson and Todd Snyder and like, like a million other artists. And like, he told me that like, initially he had like viewed his career as kind of, you know, like a linear path where like, you know, it's like you are here and the end point is just like success as a solo musician. And then he told me that like, he learned that it's like, it isn't linear. It's a much more kind of collaborative and circular path where like every project you do can you know, inform like the other. Um, so like I met Elizabeth, um, when I feel like I feel like we keep talking about Tom Petty, but it was it was it was like a, the week he passed away. I, I think he passed away on a Monday, and on a Wednesday I was playing at Basement East in Nashville. It was kind of like a last minute tribute show, um, like uh, to Tom. I was playing in the house band, and we had a bunch of guest artists who would come up and like uh, do like one or two songs with us. And given that we didn't have any time to practice, you know, like we all learned everything on our own, and we just played it live. And Elizabeth was one of our guests um, and it just worked. I remember we were, we were like in the green room, you know, like uh, right before going on and we were working out harmonies on room at the top, which was her song. And it clicked. It was really easy. And we played the set. It was really easy. It was great. And then afterwards, Elizabeth like, uh, like texted me and said, Hey, you know, it's great to meet you. And I wrote back and I said, yeah. And if you ever like need a guitarist, I would love it. And, uh, you know, I don't drink, so I can like drive like the van after a gig. And Elizabeth said, you're hired. Um, <laughs> and then like a week, no, like a month later, we were in Atlanta, open up for driving and crying. Um, yeah. And so, you know, with an album like Aftermath, we had played those songs live for a long time. Like we played them on the Grand Ole Opry. We played them, you know, like at the Ryman, like we'd worked them out. You know, but then when I heard that Elizabeth was going to be working with Butch Walker on the album in L.A., I just kind of assumed that it would be one of like those instances where it would be like Elizabeth and Butch and a bunch of L.A. guys who like are better guitarists than I am, especially on an album. I feel like I'm a live guitarist. But, you know, like if you give me like a Telecaster and you were like, play some, you know, chicken picking magic, I would you know, I wouldn't like be able to, you know, I can only play like me. And so I assumed like that I wouldn't get to play on the album and I was OK with that. And meanwhile, my wife and I had planned uh, like a trip to Cape Town as an anniversary present. And then like Elizabeth asked like, hey, can you come and play my record? And I said like, yes. And also shit, I need to like reschedule. <laughs> and so we, um, you know, my wife and I flew home from Cape Town like late one night and I woke up early in the morning and flew to LA and joined them in the studio. And it was great creating that album. I mean, I feel like Elizabeth using her touring band it really invested all of us and it made everybody play their asses off um it, uh, yeah like, and we didn't use a you know a click track or anything and we played everything live including guitar leads that would just like put on 
you know, like whatever pedal I was going to use and play it, which, you know, I've like never tracked an album like that. And, uh, it was great. It was great to be out in California in January and Butch Walker is amazing. And, uh, and like, not at all as intimidating as I had, you know, like would have expected. Like there's only one point where it was clear to me that like, he's a guitar hero. And it was when we were doing it, it was a song called thick Georgia woman. Um, and like the pedal steel, uh, player Whitwright, you know, played a solo and it was awesome at the end. Then Butch was like, Hey, Andrew, like, did you hear what Whit played? I want you to go back and like double that on, gu- on guitar and then go back again and like, and like a double it up an octave and then go back again and harmonize. Are you ready? Okay, go. And I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> it's like pedal steel. It isn't like, you know, well, like, you know, it's like the go-tos on pedal steel aren't like always your go-tos on guitar, but um, I had to get it right because I wanted to impress him. I wanted to like, like do right by Elizabeth. Um, and so I did. So yeah, like an amazing time making that record. Um, and I consider it to be, um, yeah, I mean like playing, playing with her is part of what I uh, do. It isn't like a side hustle. It's like part of, you know, my yin and yang, I think. Yeah. I think like sometimes people have like a hard time, um, when it comes to identity with, with that kind of thing is like, you know, Oh, I'm just, I feel like a lot of times, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that they feel like that's like a notch below like their solo stuff. And it's like, you know, well, this isn't who I really am because like, these are the songs I've written and this is like who I am as an artist. And this is like more of their version, their vision. And so this is like, as you say, a side gig or something. I think a lot of sure. times like artists um, maybe kind of get in their way when it comes to that, but you got to think of it as, as like, as you said, like the circle. Or as yeah, Neil said, and, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, um, you know, and I used, I used to, you know, I used to also like think my career was a linear path, but it really isn't. And I think I am, you know, like a much better player and just you know, a much better, you know, touring musician, given that I have like done it on both sides of the stage, if you will. Um, and also I think if I was constantly out with my band, um, you know, like I love, I love going on the road. It's like my number one part about, about playing music, but you know, when it's with my band, I'm the one, you know, it's like, like we don't have a label. It's my label, Skyline Music. We don't have a manager. It's me. You know, like we have like a booking agent, but I book like half of our shows. Um, you know, we don't have like a business manager. It's me. And so when we're out on the road, I'm like juggling all of these like flaming chainsaws and I'm worried that one is going to just like top, you know, like a lot my head off, you know, but when I go and play with Elizabeth, all I have to do is, you know, play my parts, you know, like play guitar and harmonize and like, don't be a jerk and, you know, like drive when they ask you to. And it's so pure and so easy and it like reminds me of why I play music and it helps recharge my batteries so I can go back and play with my band again and like be all of like those roles at once. Yeah. The, uh, if there's one thing I want people to get out of this, I hope there's many things, but above all else, 2021, don't be a jerk because don't be a jerk (laughs) and watch out for flaming chainsaws. Yeah. It's, uh, (laughs) Yeah, the the wearing of many hats, if you will, that can be obviously. I I kind of relate it to like um, 
as a kid kind of going like, man, why is like my dad, like such an asshole on vacation. And then like realizing later, <laughs> it's like, oh, it's because like he's everyone else is on vacation and he's not on vacation. He's basically like <laughs> still at work doing the, the manager of the vacation, if you will. And that's, exactly. I think sometimes what you can, if you, if you relate it to that, as far as like having to like wear all those hats and then also be like in charge of everything, basically. Tour dad is what we call it. Tour dad. You got to be tour dad. You know, like it's great. It's great <laughs> to be like, you know, tour brother or like tour kid. I've gone on tours where like I can play that role, but it isn't when I'm out with Andrew Leahy in the homestead. I got to be tour dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, man. It's been really, really great talking with you today. Likewise, man. Like I said, I'm a fan of what you do. And uh, yeah, it was an honor. Yeah. We'll have to do it again. Another time in the, hopefully like in person. Okay. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check out Andrew Leahy in the homestead. Stop on over at our presenting partners, desert door, the blue light live and hot damn coffee. Check out the new slang merch store and Patreon subscribe to the neon Eon. And yeah, y'all have a great weekend. We'll see you next week for two more episodes of new slang.